listening to All Things Video, a podcast dedicated to uncovering the past and charting the future of the online video ecosystem. This episode is brought to you by Toonstar, an animation tech startup that produces snackable, interactive content for mobile audiences. To learn more, visit Toonstar.com or download the Toonstar app. You're listening to All Things Video. I'm your host, James Creech, and today's guest is Arthur Wang, Chief Marketing Officer at Super Deluxe. Arthur, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, James. Yeah, excited to be here with you. I wanted to start by looking at your career. You began in finance and worked at product management at Oracle, transitioned into ad sales. What inspired you to explore so many different fields? You know, my background has been mainly as an entrepreneur, um, and I was just trying to cobble together a set of skills along the way. Um, certainly, you know, as, as you know, James, being a startup guy, you got to wear many different hats. And sometimes you have to bounce around from the product side of things to partnerships and sales to day to day operations. And that's really how I've kind of assembled a set of various skills. It was just always more to be able to help a startup, uh, depending upon what was most pressing at that time. Um, yes, I, I started off my first job after school was in finance and investment banking. But the thought then was just where can I learn the fastest? Where can I do something where I can be exposed to as many things as, as possible? But the goal is always to be an entrepreneur and to be in the startup scene. That's why I've assembled these set of skills that hopefully uh, doesn't make me... Uh, I have specialists in certain categories and in certain areas of focus, uh, but really, once again, it's to be able to be a successful startup person. And so do you feel like you're still functioning as a Swiss Army knife, say, at Super Deluxe today, or have you honed in really on specializing on those marketing skills? You know, it depends on the time, right? Because we're still growing. We've only been at it for a little over two years now. So there are times where I've got to go really deep and get really focused. Um, examples of that is when we're first building out the audience and being very careful and meticulous about having the right type of audience, the ones that we really want in the long run because they're going to love our stuff. Mm-hmm. And then there's times when, okay, now I got to step back because it's starting to function and I'm layering in a team to take care of the day-to-day where I can go find new things to do. So I was told early on that your job in many ways as a senior uh, executive is to figure out how to get rid of your job, right? So you're always trying to find new things to work on. So I enjoy that about being at Super Deluxe because we, we're babies still. We're still very early. So right now I'm starting to work on a few new things, but every so often I'm going to jump right back into marketing because that is my primary responsibility. But being at a startup allows me to look at different things. So once again, I can leverage these, uh, these set of skills I guess I've accumulated over the years. You mentioned the entrepreneurial through line that's kind of cut through your career. How did that get started? Have you always considered yourself an entrepreneur? Is that just baked into your DNA? It, it is. You know, I like uh, and the definition of entrepreneur for me is someone that's taking calculated risks, right? Someone that's very smart about the risks and knowing that they're resource constrained, you know, knowing how to cobble together something where maybe you don't have all the pieces yet and convincing a technology partner to work with you or finding a, an ad sales relationship to help you get going. And I enjoy that hustle part of it, the, 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 the part that you've really got to, by hook or crook, make things happen. And I think that comes from when I was a kid, you know, I grew up, uh, my family's been very entrepreneurial. We, uh, a little bit of a typical immigrant story where we own Chinese restaurants, right? I traded baseball cards when I was a kid. And there's certainly always that element of trading and hustling that I really enjoyed. Um, and I still enjoy that today. It's always trying to find these new opportunities. Uh, so yes, I've been more of a startup person. I have done some stints at bigger companies, but that's always been to start a new group, to do something entrepreneurial within that group. So I like to believe I can understand how big companies think, but also know the realities of what it takes to start something from zero. I yeah. mean, you've been there. It's hard, right? right. It's, you got to get a lot of favors. You've got to be really thoughtful about where you're focusing on and what you're really prioritizing. And I love bringing that type of thinking to, to any situation. You know, I like the, the risk assessment part of it and being really smart about, I only have so many chips to play with. What, I, what do I want to do here? So that's something I really enjoy about being an entrepreneur, whether it's at a small company or at a larger company where you're trying to do something new. I mean, 
it's more the entrepreneurial spirit, right? That mindset. Yeah. So let's talk about your first venture, which I believe was Calls Direct. No, my, no. my very first company okay. that was called Simply Finance, ah, actually. Sure. So this was back in, jeez, uh, um, the mid 2000s, right? Yep. Where we were getting going with, I don't know if you guys remember Lower My Bills and uh, Next Tag at the time. And there's a lot of players in the lead gen space. So I started a company very similar to that. Uh, but with a different spin in that we layered in Q&A. So we wanted a Q&A component to bring traffic in because a lot of people need personal finance advice, right? So having an outlet for you to pose your questions and then match you with a, a financial advisor. So at the time, there's a slew of financial products, whether it's mortgages to insurance to credit cards. The goal is to, to bring those personal finance solutions to an audience. We ended up becoming a UK company because we found a lot of success in the UK. Uh, the large players there were companies like Money Supermarket, Compare the market. They're actually still very big in the UK. Um, I was spending a ton of time in London, which is actually kind of funny because, you know, it was the thought was that how hard can it be? They all speak English. And then, of course, you learn it's a totally different way of, of business. It's, it's a very different way of doing things. So classic thing, right? It takes twice as long as you would expect. I'm spending almost all my time in London. Uh, so eventually I found a partner to help take it over and take that thing to the next level because I just frankly didn't want to spend so much time in the UK. What originally inspired that idea? What motivated you to launch the business? You know, I was uh, prior to that, I was at an ad network and I ran an affiliate marketing and performance marketing network. So it was really eye-opening to me to see the opportunity of bringing in a little bit of science with the art. Um, internet marketing is great because when you figure something out, you can scale it very quickly, right? I've seen many things blow up over the years. Uh, at the time, Groupon was very big. And I don't know if you guys recall, but you would see their stuff everywhere for a bit. Um, I was there early in the days where Blockbuster and Netflix were going head to head to grab uh, new subscribers. This is pre-streaming days. This is when it was still the mail service, right? But if you can figure out the equation, whether it's the right banner ad, the right headline, the right landing page, and understand that funnel, and you cracked it first, you're able to scale it very quickly. So I enjoy that, that game component of solving something. So it was an eye-opener to me. And I was like, man, there's got to be other opportunities in other categories where I can do that. And the UK was one where we thought there was a little bit of an edge. So that's where we kind of landed there. You mentioned some of the challenges being an entrepreneur and, and certainly outside of you know, having to travel and do what we, the business in the UK. What was the hardest part about being a first-time founder? You know, the one thing I didn't really understand was um, how lonely it could be. You know, it's a very weird experience being the the, the CEO or the, the founder, whatever you want to call it, where you had a lot of different, not only functional hats you had to wear, but it was the psychological part of it too, where um, it takes a lot of energy, right? To go into the office, even if things were maybe looking a little more dire than you were hoping, or, you know, you couldn't get too excited or too down because you had a team that was feeding off that energy. But then you also had your investors to manage and you have maybe your board to manage. And of course you have your customers and that could be your consumers in the case of a website, as well as your advertisers. But you're balancing all of these things, right? And it's hard to, you can't really share every one of those concerns with, with everyone on the team, right? Because you need them to be focused. So I, I didn't really appreciate how lonely it would be at times. So I can see, uh, I think it requires, first time CEO is very hard. You don't know what you don't know kind of a thing. So now I've learned that you, you do have to just have that ability to, you need that gumption to kind of stick through it. You know, the guys I've seen that have been very successful are the ones that, don't really get caught up by all the noise. They just know what they want to do and they stay really focused. And maybe it takes five times longer than expected, right? But they just have that thing where they stick with it. And those are the guys I think that you know, have that kind of ability to get through that. So for me, I didn't anticipate like having to spend so much emotional energy managing myself. And that was a bit of an eye opener. I'm still a pretty emotional guy today, but I try to be 
a little more level, level-headed because it is really a series of sprints, right? It's yeah. not really a marathon. It's a silly series of sprints, but you got to be ready for those sprints. And that takes a lot of energy. Yeah, it's well said. You know, I think people underestimate that component that starting a business, you learn almost more about yourself than anything else, right? And managing the emotional journey. And sometimes it's two steps forward, one step back, right? That's just part of the startup game. Yeah, I, mean, I just thought it was going to be, oh, if you solve a business problem and you've created value, I mean, yes, that's kind of gets you your product market fit, right? But the next step is really, it is that those HR challenges, those emotional challenges, it's a very human thing. So it's something that I guess you can't learn until you experience it. And then you'll find out about yourself pretty quickly. <laughs> so since Simply Finance, you went on to start a number of other businesses. Tell us a little bit about those other companies. Yeah, there were kind of opportunities that come up as you're in the space. So we were doing, um, at the time, uh, personal finance related products, but largely digital and focused on websites and the Q&A website. And folks started coming to us and say, hey, you guys are really good at understanding how to uh, think about media planning, media buying, and taking that and driving it in a certain way and understanding consumer behavior. So we also looked at opportunities in traditional media. So Calls Direct was an opportunity where you can look at buying TV ads, radio ads, outdoor, print, and having the same kind of mechanisms you would apply to digital, but now in the broadcast world. And the call to action in this case is typically having someone dial into a toll-free number. So yes, the name's Calls Direct was we would help potential um, service providers receive inbound inquiries via phone calls. So that's what we did as an extension of our digital business. We started getting into the ability to generate phone calls for our clients as well. So it was really more this notion of I am still a combination of being data-driven, but also creative. So it was nice to be able to start looking at broadcast media as another opportunity. So in addition to founding a number of businesses on your own, you also serve as a mentor and advisor to a lot of startups uh, through MuckerLab. So what advice do you often share with other early entrepreneurs? You know, the thing I like to tell people is that the focus part of it is so important. As the CEO of a team, whatever you say, people will tend to jump on right away. So you got to be careful because you can cause people to overreact. Um, so you got to be really mindful. What are the couple of things you need to get done? A lot of people just remind people this. A lot of my mentors remind me, you got to stay focused. You know, what are the priorities and really have that laser vision? And then, of course, you adjust as you're getting data points, but you don't want to become, you don't want things to thrash, you know, because it takes a lot. Once you have a 5, 10, 15 person team, those become kind of expensive in some sense, right? If your team is off chasing something, that certainly means they're not working on something else. So it's a little naive to say, you know, someone comes to you, what are my priorities? You can't say they're all important. That, that doesn't make any sense. So really knowing your priorities and what you're trying to accomplish is very important. Um, it is one of the things I've learned, you know, yeah. trying to find one or two things you really want to be good at. And, and we also know this, the market rewards you for building something amazingly great. Like if you're just mediocre across the board, that doesn't give you an edge. So you got to nail that edge. So therefore you got to be focused, especially if you're resource constrained, which most startups are. Yeah. Yeah. I always tell people that you want to go deep before you go wide. Yeah. And one of the things that a lot of first time entrepreneurs do is they get distracted. I was guilty of this still, I'm, you know, from time to time is that there's so many things that are exciting. And as an entrepreneur, you're often passionate about the industry and so much is changing and evolving all the time. So you want to chase the shiny objects, but you know, that's what can be, can be deadly if you're not careful. Yeah, I tell my team sometimes to think about, yes, there's a lot of opportunities out there, right? But which opportunities are actually unique to you? Like explain to me why that opportunity is something you can deliver against and not just deliver against the near term, but for a long period of time, right? Because these things take years to play out and don't be naive in that there's going to be competition. So how are you going to continue to beat them as these series of sprints? So it does take a little bit of that 
you got to be honest about the situation, right? Which is why as an entrepreneur, it is a risk assessment game. And I think people sometimes confuse entrepreneurs with like the crazy risk taker. Yeah, they're taking risk, but it's calculated risk. That's they're right. very smart about that. And that's why they're able to convince people to work with them, whether it's their time or their capital, right? But that's really, I think, a quality that every entrepreneur needs to have. It's interesting. I do feel like the most successful entrepreneurs are in some ways very risk averse, but they're always covering their downside, like you say. So they, they're taking one big, bold bet, but at the same time, they're hedging in other areas to make sure that the big bet pays off. I, I think you're right. I mean, time is not your friend when you're a startup, right? So you have to be very careful with those, those bets. You have to be very thoughtful. So oftentimes, and you've heard this many a times, but saying no is something that a younger entrepreneur may have a harder time with because every opportunity is something they can take advantage of, but that's really not true. So in 2012, you found your way back to corporate America as VP of Audience Development Acquisition at CBS Interactive. You talked about dipping in and out of entrepreneurial uh, startups and then also working in, in bigger companies. What encouraged you to kind of cross back over and work with CBS? So I happened to have a good buddy of mine that was at Redpoint at the time, a, a local venture capital shop, and he and I were working on some ideas. Um, he ended up recruiting me to CBS Interactive because one of the portfolio companies, a company called Clicker, was acquired by CBS. And the person that ended up being a part of that acquisition was Jim Lanzone, who now is the chief digital officer over at CBS. So I was brought in to help launch their audience development team. So it was very much a startup-like opportunity uh, where I was given the opportunity to work with amazing IP, right? CBS is a crazy catalog, a crazy slew of products uh, from CBS Sports all the way to CBS. And they also own things like CNET and GameSpot. So for me, I wanted to really test my chops with one being the startup within a bigger company, but also now having IP to work with and bringing in a little bit of that data science thinking in terms of how to build an audience. So yeah, it was a great opportunity for me to, to just work with um, amazing amount of IP, take that and apply some kind of modern approaches to audience building. And uh, yeah, my end of my time there, we had a nice little 20 person group that was um, a big part of a uh, the, the audience component of, of CBS, which is a top 10 comfortable property. If sure. you actually look at all the sites that they own. Yeah. So it was a lot of fun. And then it also allowed me to start to take a look at, wow, there's a, a lot of behavioral changes happening now with audiences, right? Uh, Facebook, YouTube, things like that. So that's where started popping up. So being in a big company does give you advantages where people always return your phone call. Yeah. So you can definitely learn pretty quickly. So that was a great part of that, that stint. You went on from CBSI to then go and become one of the first few employees at Superlux. So what were some of the things that you learned during your time at CBS that you were then able to apply or you're applying today at Super Deluxe? So one is that creatives are amazing, right? Being a creative person and a, tr a true creative person that can make just the sickest shows, the, the coolest ideas. I really respect that. It's, it's a real craft. Knowing to putting a little piece of yourself out there. And I really respected that. And then I also saw on the other side that maybe these folks didn't know how modern distribution would work. You know, how do you get that stuff out in front of people? That's a challenge. How do you fight fire with fire when, when the Facebooks and YouTubes are algorithms? You know, understanding that game because certainly a lot of other people are playing it. So if you don't, uh, content is king, right? Or distribution is queen or however you want to think about it. But they're both important, I guess, is, my, is the way I think about it. So I learned that, man, I really respect the creative side. How do you get that stuff in front of people? Well, it requires a little bit more of a, maybe my skill set. So I learned to really appreciate that these two things can work very well together. And then on top of that, there's a bunch of disruption happening right now. No one really knows how it's going to net out, but there's a lot of confusion, right? Which is great for someone like us, right? Someone mm -hmm. where they're trying to find new ways of doing things. No one knows how it's going to work out yet, but that's certainly happening right now. So at the time at CBS, we launched CBS All Access, which I helped with. So thinking about the SVOD component of things, what's going to happen with the AVOD side of things as people are now, you know, cord cutting and moving from traditional to digital, 
Um, there's a whole bunch of things that are happening that I just want to be a part of. Mm-hmm. Um, and I want to be a part of it in, in a way that goes after, um, t- solely focuses on that. So Superlux allows us to do that, right? Because we don't have any legacy issues to think about. We were launched two and a half years ago with the mandate of figuring these things out, you know, going after these cord nevers and cord cutters, folks that didn't grow up like I did watching linear television, you know, appointment viewing, all that stuff doesn't make sense anymore. So, Tell us more about that. Tell us about the genesis of the idea behind Super Deluxe and some of those early days. You know, Wolfgang Hammer is our president, and he was actually also at CBS. Uh, he was on the CBS film side. So I think Wolfgang had the, the idea of let's figure out how to elevate a lot of these things and bring these new voices into the mix on the creative side. So it's always been a creative first endeavor, right? Let's, let's do something different. Let's do something that is creatively innovative. And then let's couple that with modern distribution. So I, I was brought in to, to kind of be the other tennis partner for Wolfgang in terms of making sure the stuff that we make is being seen. That's the simplistic kind of a high level description of that, sure. but there's a lot of details there, right? But it's always been a creative first thing. And, you know, that's important to me. I, I didn't talk too much about my childhood. We kind of start off more on the, the professional side, but I grew up in a small little city called Albany, Georgia, right? I was the only Chinese American kid in the school. And for me, I still think about some of the ways I learned about the world being a little bit bigger than it was in, in the small city. You know, there was an opportunity and entertainment and television was a bit of that outlet yeah. right, where you would know, Hey, you're not the only Chinese person on the planet. You know, you're not the only person that maybe doesn't care just about baseball and football, or maybe you're into some music scene that no one really is not too mainstream yet. And entertainment can be an amazing way to bring people together. So I, I thought that was also an amazing opportunity to like, how do we take this amazing creative stuff that we're going to make that's sharing voices that are often not heard enough, right? And use modern distribution to make sure people get a chance to see it and maybe make some kid that happens to be stuck in a little city feel a little less lonely, a little less weird. Mm-hmm. And that's always been the, the bigger vision, right? It's like, I would love to be just part of youth culture and be out there. Um, we're across the street from you. You've, you've seen our offices before, but everyone is in their early to mid twenties. They're super optimistic. I mean, it's amazing to see. And how do you get that stuff out there? Something that excites me every day. And the internet and online video fundamentally revolutionized that. So what are some of the things that you're most excited about, whether it's leveraging AVOD and SVOD platforms, if it's doing live streaming, what are some of the things that you're looking at as ways to unite audiences? Great question. You know, we've always been about building audiences that cared, right? We were never about chasing views, chasing these big vanity numbers. I mean, certainly I'd be mindful of it, just the reality of being in the business, but we always looked at more lower funnel metrics, so to speak, right? So things like engagement, Things like commenting. We were actually looking at the length of comments. We would take a look at the diction and their use of words and how they describe what they're watching. And that's always been important to us as a key metric because that means we're hitting that emotional cord, right? Going back to being a creative first company, it's the ability to like hit those veins and understand how to actually tell a proper story. And that's why we're always so keen on understanding those metrics because we knew long-term, everything's going to move that direction, right? And we know that you're seeing that now at the platforms think much more about hey, let's move maybe beyond just things that are viewed, being viewed for three seconds. Let's start thinking about what kind of comments are we creating? What, what are we actually doing in terms of culture? So we've always been very mindful of measuring those things and studying that and, and trying to help create as much as we can with just providing a little data, right? We're, we're not data-driven. I don't believe that really works in terms of if you're a creative outfit. It's really about the craft. So we just want to provide a little bit of that stuff. You know, so for us, it's about, I love just all these different opportunities to be innovative. You know, we were one of the first people on Facebook Live. And bringing that interactivity, the ability to now share your comments and your sentiments with, with everyone else in real time and provide some sort of a co-viewing-like experience, right? We have a creative technology department that are making apps that's shoulder content for these tentpole things that we have. 
That's another way for you to go down that rabbit hole if you're a super fan. And how do we super serve that audience? That's how we think about things. At some point, you're going to see more stuff in real life. We have a, a, a fledgling merch business. Why is that? Well, it's just a way for our fans to now express themselves in the real, in the real world. Uh, we had an amazing thing a year ago where we came out with a doormat for Joanne the Scammer. All right, it just killed it. We sold a bunch of doormats. What was more fun about it is it was just a random idea that someone came up with. We decided to do it. And that's because we're a young company that's not afraid to take risks. Sure. So tell us a little bit more for those who aren't familiar about the character Joanne oh, the Scammer sorry. and and what you guys are doing with the doormat campaign. So so Joanne was the character we came across uh, pretty early on, actually. Uh, um, she, she was an amazing talent that already had a, a nice social media following. And we wanted to partner with her and, and figure out how to bring our wares to the game. You know, we have a in-house production capabilities. We've got my team in the distribution side. We've got ways to develop that talent and make it uh, hopefully become a franchise that now you'll see on TV soon enough, right? So we identify this as being something, wow, this Joanne character is really hitting that emotional cord. has that that connection with that audience, right? We see stats that look amazing where people are really engaging with that person. And we just started to develop Joanne. We, we did live videos. We then did stuff that was serialized. We took Joanne on the road and she was in London for a period of time. And then we said, look at some of these comments. People want to really support Joanne. So we, came, we all huddled in a room. We came up with a doormat idea. And we said, let's just try and see what happens. Um, we had to go and order a bunch of doormats. And it was actually a little crazy. But we, we, we ended up selling a bunch. So it worked out. That's or else, else we'd be giving out doormats to all of our friends for a while. But we did really well there. Good. But really what's exciting, this is, this is a kind of a start of our 360 vision, right? I, I briefly alluded to the fact that actually you can read our articles about it where Joanne is in development for a, a TV show. But this goes back to our vision is... All right, we're going after this young audience. That's amazing. Right? We know they consume entertainment everywhere still. They still watch TV. They certainly are on Snap and Instagram. They'll watch YouTube and Facebook. So if I think about that as being my, my audience, right, how do I make sure I'm there in all those outlets? Yeah. So it's a natural function for us to do all these things because we want to be there when, when they're there. All right, so that's why we do things that, all, that extend all the way to building uh, a game for Joanne or a doormat for Joanne. But of course, we're going to cover all the video components as well. How did you originally decide to focus on that youth audience, you know, young adults? Was that part of the original mandate for the company? Or did you say this, you know, this area is underserved today. We want to create content. And oftentimes it's very edgy, right? I think you're actually, you're meeting young adults with the same kind of styles and cultural uh, communication methods that they're looking for. So the content is very relevant to them. It doesn't feel forced. It feels like something that they're, they're excited about and leaning into. How did you know that vision for the audience and the content you're creating come to be? So we were meant to be part of the, the future generation, the future of television. And we wanted to be a multi-platform play. And if you think about it from that perspective, that's clearly where young people are today, right? So we are going after 18 to 34. That's our sweet spot. That's our target. Uh, our median age that we're actually seeing today in terms of real data, you know, they're about 24, 25 years old. So we're hitting that thing, that audience group really well. And how do we do that? Um, it's because we make stuff we like. You know, I mentioned before, all of our filmmakers are in their 20s as well. They just do things that they enjoy themselves, right? And they do it in a fantastic way where we pair them with real development executives. We bring in filmmakers. We bring in directors. We have an in-house production crew. So we want to support them as well to make sure wherever they make is beautiful, it's premium. Right? Premium, not because you just throw a lot of resources at it, but because it's very thought out. Um, and that's very important to us. I mean, that's how we can recruit talent to get people that want to work with us. In terms of cutting through... Um, that's something that's required. You have to have amazing editing chops. You have to understand the visuals. You have to understand what stories matter. And I'll defer to the creative team on how they come up with these things, but I know it's working because I see it in the fact that we now have a huge audience. We reach you know 50 million viewers per month. We have 6 million plus social followers. We're one of the fastest growing premium publishers out there. 
So whatever it is they're doing, it's working. You know, I like to believe Mike is sprinkling a little bit of the data, a little bit of the, the fight fire with fire components, but that creative piece is certainly working. Yeah. So yes, we landed on kind of 18 to 34 folks that are looking for new things that are willing to, to try new things, looking for altered, an alternate perspective. And that's what we bring, right? We, we want to bring, I kind of mentioned this, but when I was growing up, I was looking for these things myself. And this is the opportunity, right? For us to, to embrace what we also call the creative youth. You know, these are the kids that kind of find the dope things first. You know, they're the first to, they have amazing taste, right? They're really smart. And they're really looking for something different. And that's what excites us. Like, we're not going to be all things to all people. We, that's not the goal. We're not the billion view company. We don't care. We don't want to be that. We want to really super serve the creative youth, the kids yeah. that understand what we're doing. You know, some of the stuff is like, it's pretty amazing. You can go down that rabbit hole. You join the scammer character. You can really go through that whole thing and maybe you land on a doormat or maybe you land on the game or whatever it may be or her live stream. Uh, but that, that's amazing to just kind of really understand that group. It's more interesting to find an audience that will absolutely love your content rather than a much bigger audience that kind of likes your content. 100% about love is 100% figuring that out. And you know, hopefully we'll back into a business model through that love. But right now it's about nailing that voice, nailing that creative component. And I think we're doing that. You know, we talked about joining the scammer, but we've also rolled out many other uh, new formats and new franchises since since Joanne. Uh, we've had cheap thrills with Tabasco Suite, which is our take on streetwear, hypebeast culture. Absolutely hilarious, it. by the way. You love yeah, so it's got a great. DIY component to it as well, right? It allows kids to really jump in there and and make the latest streetwear things with Tabasco Suite. Uh, we've got another one that's a little more 420 friendly uh, called Edibles, which is featuring a, a character called Edibles Will. It's also crushing and doing phenomenally well. And the, the latest one we lost that we're really excited about is Upgraded, which features a, a character named Jeffrey King. And um, he's going out there and trying new new products as well, new kind of beauty-related products, lifestyle-related products. But you'll see all these things have the super luxe feel. It's very obvious when you're watching super luxe videos. Uh, it is quite – it is quickly becoming an adjective. You will – that's super luxe. You kind of get it, right? And that's really exciting to see. I'm curious to get your perspective on this digital publisher model because it seems like the right time for this movement. You've looked at you know the, the traditional web publishers, the Conde Nast and the Hearst of the world, still trying to figure out what are they doing online, what are they doing in video specifically. And then you had kind of the web 1.0 publishers like the Refinery29s of the world, and some of them have been going through some some challenging times. 2017 was a rough year for, for some of those brands. Right. But you've seen so much success, right? New brands popping up in the online video space specifically and around digital publishing with a video focus. If you think about Cheddar or Futurism or Donut Media around these specific audience segments or content verticals, what is it about video that has made that convergence so impactful? I, I think it goes back to just your ability to hit that emotional chord, right? Video, sight, sound, and motion still achieve that. By the way, we're taking it to the next level. We talked about live briefly, but our stuff is amazing. We were called out at F8 last year for being uh, one of the most innovative users of Facebook Live. Why is that? We allow audiences to participate and they're part of that experience. I mean, what I'm really excited about is new formats are going to come up through these technologies, right? I mean, yes, you look at the last 15 years, we've gone from videos that were the size of a thumbnail during 1.0 days to, man, streaming in a larger window. That's amazing. And now... Starting to change behavior, certainly, right? Binge viewing, ad skipping, people worried about, but all that stuff we're aware of. But now it's actually at the point where maybe we can do these amazingly interactive things and find new formats, right? HQ Trivia is doing some of that stuff today. That's really exciting to me because I think it's going to open up some real new ways of consuming this this type of content. Um, so yes, I'm looking forward to, to seeing that stuff play out. And that's one of the things about Superlux is because we're so innovative and we're so forward thinking, we're willing to take those creative risks. I'm pretty confident in that whatever comes next 
we're going to be one of the first there. Now, as for the business model side, yeah, you know, that's still challenging. Everyone's still figuring that out together. I think it's going to end up being a combination of, of revenue streams. That's maybe the new reality. You can't rely solely on ads and your subscriber fee. You got to layer in branded content. You got to layer in direct audience um, opportunities. Um, you got to have all those components in place. And hopefully that gives you enough to continue to make amazing things. You know, we are, we are certainly betting a little bit on the attention economy catching up. You know, we're getting more than our fair share of attention. We're going to continue doing that. And then hopefully the, the economics follow. There's a little bit of a bet there. Yeah. You know? I think you're right. I think there's a few things. One, there's still a huge gap between ad-supported and paid models, right? And I think that needs to narrow. And some of the platforms are working to combat that. YouTube's announced policy changes as recent as last month with the goal of pushing more higher CPMs and, and higher fill rates to the premium you know, content creators. At the same time, Facebook and Twitter and Amazon are all looking at ways to deliver better monetization potential from an AVOD model to, to their kind of advertiser partners. You know, the other thing that's really fascinating is you touched on the fan direct opportunities, whether it's merchandise, e-commerce, affiliate marketing, uh, building brands around talent and using that to push product right. is really interesting. Or even just the do- donation model, what we're seeing on Twitch or Patreon and this, this ability for a user to say, I really like this. You're creating some cool content that speaks to me. I want to be a part of this. I want to support you. I, we're, I think it's going to be hopefully a combination of those things. You might have to do them all in some way, right? It's a lot more work. Uh, but it also allows you to have that deep relationship with your with your customer, with your fan, your audience. And that also makes it hopefully more viable and sustainable and, and longer term, right? Which is, I'm assuming that's why the street values things a little differently. If you have a direct-to-consumer business and you have a subscription business that actually allows you to touch your customer, you see a higher multiple. Because part of that is because you know you're going to generate more sustainable revenue streams. It's a lot harder to build. We're in the process of building it. But we feel confident about our abilities because it goes back to fundamentally it's about do they love what you're doing? And we're seeing encouraging statistics around that. We're seeing encouraging. If you just look at the growth, the commenting, that suggests we're going to get there, right? Yeah. So it takes a little bit of time. It's a lot more work. And by the way, the platforms are also great partners. You know, we've done a lot of work with Facebook. Yeah. We're talking to the Facebook watch team. We've talked to their creative shop. Uh, so many groups that we're working with as well, because they, they respect the creativity of what we're doing. They respect the fact that we're building a brand. Um, what we do is hard to do. It's very difficult. You know, we, we spend a lot of money to make amazing stuff and it takes a lot of resources to do that. And I think it's starting to catch up. You know, I think people are starting to, you know, this sometimes users don't know what they want until they see it. That was one of the best we made. Like, Hey, once they see our stuff, they're going to love it. And then, then we know now, now, now the bar has been raised. Right. So I think we're, we're starting to get continue, continue to innovate business models catching up and you know, we should be hopefully in good shape. We just got to continue to execute. So given that you've worked on the traditional side, I'm curious because now we truly see premium content that's digital first, right? And oftentimes that digital content has an audience that's bigger than some of the things on primetime network television. So when is that going to catch up? When is the gap between monetization potential and digital going to arrive at close to parity with traditional TV? Yeah, I think if you look at the macro numbers, right? I mean, digital advertising dollars are ahead of linear. So maybe it's more an issue of how that pie is being divided up. So we certainly have challenges with uh, the distribution partners, meaning Facebook, YouTube. You know, they, they have a, a lot of uh, power because they're a platform. Many suppliers right now have inventory, and I think it needs to catch up a bit. I think Facebook's going through it now, right? They're starting to now study, who do I actually really care about? How do I actually make sure the ecosystem of content providers can continue to exist? You mentioned YouTube starting to be more judicious with how they're thinking about allocation of uh, the ad revenue they're able to bring in. So I think they're starting to acknowledge that and wake up to that, right? And I, I just hope that you know it all comes together quickly enough. In addition to that, we got to do our own part by going to direct to audience. 
we also have other revenue streams. We have the ability to take our franchises and we had announcements uh, recently with doing things with Netflix. You know, we sold shows as well. So these are our opportunities to make sure we're protecting ourselves. And yes, we're great partners with these folks. We're also going to build our own business adjacent to that. What does the future hold for Super Deluxe? What are some of the things that you're most excited about? So you're going to see a lot more beyond what you've seen on, I'm, I'm assuming most of the folks are more familiar with what we've done on Facebook and YouTube, right? You're going to see more announcements about what we're doing on more of the traditional TV side. Uh, I mentioned Netflix just now. We, we actually are working on a deal with them uh, called Chambers. So this is something you'll see in 2018. Uh, we're premiering a show called This Close actually on the 14th with Sundance Now. So you're going to see both these uh, premium, episodic, highly serialized projects in the market. Uh, we're in development with uh, Kumail Nanjani on another project. So these are things that are all in the works that you're going to see pretty soon. So you're going to see more of Superlux than just what you've seen to date. Also, we're bringing our wares out to brands and agencies. Uh, some of you guys may have seen some of the branded projects we've done. They've been amazing. We've worked with folks at Tinder. Uh, we're doing stuff with Slim Jim. We're having a bunch of inbound requests today because... What's cool about it is, this is funny, where oftentimes when we go and meet with these brands and agencies, the young kids, all the creative kids on those teams love us. They all know about us. They're our biggest fans and they just want to work with us so bad. So we have to just make sure we get through the challenge of brands. It's worth taking a risk. Like our stuff, yes, it's a little bit edgy. Yes, you may not get it, but it's what takes a breakthrough to that creative youth. So we're finding a ton of success with branded projects. And in the case where maybe you're a little bit, you know, you want to have more creative control, we're also rolling out our own creative studio, creative agency called Acid Drop. So we've done some projects there with the uh, folks at Netflix and Wendy's. So you're going to see more and more of the business kind of take shape. You know, we've only been at it for a little over two years. The first couple of years was really nailing the creative vision, building up our audience. So now you're going to see the, the full breadth and the full weight of everything we bring. So you know, stay tuned for that. You'll see more and more of us hopefully in the, in the, in the future here Amazing. across all these mediums. Yeah. So many cool creative projects to look forward to and a lot of good content coming soon. Oh, we, cool. we hope so. We hope so. <laughs> yes. What's coming next? If you had to make three predictions about the online video industry as a whole, what would they be? You know, one is I think there's going to be some amazing new formats that are going to be hits. And I say new formats, uh, it's not just a, an amazing premium show you wouldn't have typically seen on an outlet. It's going to be a new experience. You know, there's going to be more things like HQ, more things that are going to actually push the envelope in terms of how someone thinks about the, their consumption, right? And I think that's very possible because the technology is there and also the consumer behavior is there where the younger audience wants to be involved. They want to play a role. And I think that's going to, you're going to see more hits there. And I'm really excited about that because- I'm curious to see what happens. I, I hope Sublux, we're going to work on some of those things ourselves, right? Where we can build our own platform, build our own experience, so to speak. Maybe marry that with some some in real life experiences, but something there that I think is going to be amazing. Where a whole new way of thinking about how you push out content and how it's consumed. Yeah. So I'm really looking forward to that. I think people are now starting to get smart about which metrics really matter. I think everyone's moving to more bottom of the funnel, right? We're all thinking about engagement quality of comments. We measure something called emotional intensity, mm -hmm. right? How, how many of our videos are triggering a deep emotional response? And how do you track that? Um, you look at that through certain comments and you understand which comments are reflect some emotion and you can index that. Mm -hmm. So we have also studied our competitors to make sure we're actually ahead of them. And we're amazing at that. You know, we see anywhere from three to six X uh, emotional intensity relative to the other premium publishers. That makes sense because we've always been focused on the storytelling side of things. There's a lot of amazing data points we've got. It's just figuring out how to like bring it together and deliver that to, to the creative team is, is always fun. But you know, I, I really believe that we've done something really amazing in terms of the engagement side, the emotion side. I think every every publisher is start thinking about that as well because ultimately that's what it's really about, right? Yes, the view number is an easy number for everyone to comprehend, but 
that's not really enough. So I think the the currency, so to speak, the way people are going to think about things in 18, it's going to start moving pretty quickly, which I love because I think we've been ahead of that. And the last is we're going to see more consolidation for sure. You know, I think it's it's tough because the attention economy hasn't quite caught up. And uh, maybe a lot of folks, you know, if you didn't build a brand, it's going to be tough. So I think uh, I'm, I'm really glad that we had incredibly brave partners. Uh, we're part of the Time Warner and Turner family. They've been really brave in letting us take a, a big shot at this. It's really hard to build a brand. It takes time. And they've also given us a lot of freedom. So I like to believe that that brand value now is going to start paying off because it is going to be challenged. It's going to be probably, unless the attention economy catches up really quickly, you know, it just may not be able to support as much as we would all like right now. Uh, but then I'm confident that the entrepreneurs are going to figure it out. I know in, in many ways when things get tough, that's actually not a bad situation where uh, my third prediction is that, you know, yes, it's going to consolidate, but my end point there is that I know some of us are going to figure it out and then that's going to be great for the entire ecosystem. I mean, that's when we're going to really have to figure out, find some new ways of making revenue, maybe not rely so much on when is, those, when is advertising dollars going to come our way or when is Facebook and YouTube going to reward us, right? You always hear those things. And we take control in our own our own desks, our, our own hands, right? Find new ways of, of finding those revenue streams. Yeah, that's what drives the true innovation, right? Is the challenging times that motivate people to action and evolve and experiment with the business models. I, and I think that's you're going to be forced to do it now, right? So a lot of us are going to find out because I'm sure it's going to be harder to raise venture money right now if you're just a pure digital video play or web publisher. So I think uh, we're going to be forced to figure it out now. Yeah. So those that have a brand are going to be able to stick around to buy themselves some time to figure it out. We're going to be one of those and we're going to figure it out. So obviously you are very much in the throes of Super Deluxe and you guys are doing amazing things. But if you were starting a business in the online video space today, zooming out, looking at the landscape, just as we've talked about, what would you do? I've learned to really respect the creative side of things. You know, I've learned to respect that you have to have that part first. You have to be amazing at reaching your audience in a new way and having them love you. And you can't do that with just machines. You can't do that with understanding the algorithm. So uh, if you're someone like me and you're more on the distribution and the audience development side, you know, find that creative partner, you know, find that person that has something amazing to say and then help them get it heard and get it seen. So in terms of that part of it, it's just, I really respect the creative. I think that's ultimately what's going to stand out. I think that's how you build a brand and no machine's going to be able to tell you how to do that. I think, I think uh, my take on that is, can you get the machine to run alongside that creative person? Right. I think that would be something that'd be amazing. And I think, We've done a good job of that super deluxe where we're not data driven, but we're certainly data informed and we know how to sprinkle in enough of that to give us a bit of an edge so that the stuff that we make is more likely to be seen is more likely to be a hit. So I think uh, if I were to start something, you know, find that person with an amazing creative idea uh, or if you're that creative idea person, find that person that can get your stuff seen. But um, to me, it's, it's gotta be creative first. You know, I, I'm willing to bet on creativity, want to bet on human beings. And that's, that's the way I would go about it. Fantastic. Very cool. Arthur, where can people find out more about you and more about Super Deluxe? I don't know. I think, uh, you know, I'm always on uh, Facebook. Take a look there. I've got a Twitter handle, uh, Arthur Wang 888. I'm also on LinkedIn. Uh, just poke around. You'll, you'll find Arthur Wang Super Deluxe and you, you can reach out to me. I'd love to help out anyone in the entrepreneurial community, um, anyone in the online video space, you know, we're in it together. So feel free to reach out. Cool. And about Super Deluxe, should they check out your website? What's a great way for people to get introduced to your content if, if they're brand new to it? You know, just go and find us in any of those things. And then I want you to go on the rabbit hole. So start on Facebook, start on YouTube. It doesn't really matter. Start on Instagram. You start on Facebook Live. Start anywhere. And you're going to find yourself just in that universe. And I'm actually kind of curious to see then where you net out. Maybe you'll end up buying another doormat or a, <laughs> a cheap thrills Tabasco sweet hoodie. Uh, I think to me, it's just go down that journey and let me know what you like the most and what you didn't like. Uh, one of the things that really excites me is, well, we'll mine our audience quotes. And we had this amazing quote from one of our fans about, you know, 
I love Super Deluxe because I'm never sure where I'm going to see next. And find out. Go see what you see next. Maybe you don't like it, but give it a shot. There we go. Super Deluxe, always keeping you on your toes. Arthur, <laughs> thank you so much. This has been super fun. I mean, obviously, great to hear how you've taken your entrepreneurial experiences and your passion for, for starting a business, wearing a lot of hats, you know, delving into both the creative side and, and uh, marrying that with the audience development and the, the data and the insights that you have. So it's been quite a journey. And we're looking forward to what we see out of you guys uh, coming up. Well, thanks for having me. Appreciate you being a fan of Super Deluxe. Big time. Thanks again. Thanks for tuning in. I'm James Creech, and this has been another edition of All Things Video. If you like what you hear, we hope you'll share and subscribe for new episodes. See you next time. Bye.